Matthew chapter 24, let's touch some souls right now. It says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its, twig, its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, mm, but my words will never pass away. Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, do you see it? Then you may be seated. I shared a little bit of the story before about how when I was younger, we used to go to these winter retreats. And when we would go to these winter retreats, we had them in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And we would all go up there. There would be about 60, 70 of us young people. And we'd gather together with a few hundred others. And we'd, we'd meet there in the freezing cold. It would be freezing cold in the month of December. And we'd go up there. And I remember I was around 17, 18 years old. And I was just learning how to play the drums. And I was out there and I would play the drums for our, uh, the worship team. That we, you know, we'd have some great gang services. This was the Gang International. I was about 17 years old. But I'll never forget one winter retreat in particular. I went up there. And as I went up there, we had our, our Thursday night, then our Friday morning, then our Friday night. Saturday morning, we ended with one of the most powerful preachers, Pastor Ed. Pastor Ed ended our uh, winter retreat with a powerful word. Now, if I'm honest with you, I don't remember what he shared. I don't. I really don't. I would be lying to you if I said I remember. I don't. But you know what I do remember? The altar call. The altar call impacted my life. He, pro he preached the word, and when he was done with the word, he closed the Bible and then he began to make an altar call. The altar call came. I was playing the drums. It was in the back. The altar call came. The place was flooded with young people, 18, 19, 21, 20, just crying, crying, crying. Powerful. We're there on the top of the Santa Cruz Mountains in the middle of the forest, and we're there. And the power of God just hit right there. And Pastor Ed, I'll never forget, he's just standing there with a the mic in his hand like this. He's rocking back and forth. And then all of a sudden, he starts looking around. He's looking around. He's looking, he's looking, he's looking. And finally, he goes like this. He goes, oh, there you are. And I was in the back. I was playing drums. I was partly playing drums. I was part playing, part worshiping, because I was like, if ever you played an instrument and the power of God hits you, you're like, oh, God, I just I don't know what to do right now. How do I? Do? I, don't, I have no idea what I'm playing. I'm just, I just so that's what I was doing. I was playing and I was like a little bit of everything, and I was crying. And he turns around and he looks at me. He goes, "There you are." He said, "God has given me a word for you." He was looking for me. God's given me a word for you, and I still have this word on tape. And he said, "This is what the word of the Lord is saying for you." He says, you're going to be side by side with Sonny Jr. and Timothy at the time. He was overseeing our gang. He said, you're going to be side by side with them. And you're going to serve them, and you're going to be a helpmate to them. And wherever they go, you're going to be side by side with them. And then there was more to the prophecy. And I'll never forget, 
even at the end of the prophecy, he says, and if you don't work it, then the prophecy won't work, but that's on you. My God. Man, but I'm over here crying. Ah, what? Like, that's messed up. When he said that, it began to shape the way I saw things. It was a frame of reference for me as an 18-year-old. It was just something brand new in my mind. It was, it's like one of those things like, I knew it, but I didn't really see it. I mean, you, you come here to church, and you know certain things, but you really can't put your finger on it. What exactly is it? It's there, but it's not there. There's an old nursery rhyme that my father used to always share, and he'd say, Pussycat, Pussycat, where have you been? I've been to London and back again. Pussycat, Pussycat, what did you see? I saw a mouse by the queen's knee. That's it. That's the whole nursery rhyme. It's the whole thing. It's really short. And it's a nursery rhyme about somebody asking a question to a cat who visited London. Now, if you've ever been to London, has anybody ever been to London or Buckingham Palace? You ever been there? Okay, so a few of you have. All right. So there, if you ever go to London, you got to go to Buckingham Palace. It is one of the most glorious structures you'll ever see in your life. It's just tremendous. The walls that they have on Buckingham Palace are 79 feet high. See, some of you see them in the movies, and it's just like a glimpse. But when you go there, you're just in awe. Like, wow, they have the bars that surround the whole place, and it's surround, they're golden bars. I mean, it's just beautiful. And even when you go in, the, you guys have probably seen the, you know, the guys with the big hats, right, and the guard and the, out there, and you see that. And you're like, oh, wow. When you see it, everybody is still. Nobody moves. And it's real quiet. You're outdoors, but you'll, you'll hear them talking. Like, hey, hey. I mean, they do the whole thing, and you're just watching like, shh, quiet, quiet. I'm watching. I'm watching the guy with the big black hat. And I, I'm t I did this. I remember I was like, wow. This, it was crazy. They're changing. It's just like there's a, a presence there that you just don't move. Don't move. 79 feet tall. Inside this place there is 775 rooms in Buckingham Palace. 775. There is 19 staterooms, and it is 830,000 square feet. That's a lot of square feet. Just the Buckingham Palace alone. It has 188 staff bedrooms, 92 offices, 78 bathrooms. Whoa. Somebody call Roto-Rooter. That's a lot. It's so big, it has its own post office. It's so big, it has its own jewelry store. It's so big, it has its own doctor's office with its own surgery office, own surgery room, where doctors come in and can do surgery right there in the place where the, the queen and the king and the prince and every The royalty lives there. If you've ever been, the chandelier, I wish I was exaggerating and making this up. The chandelier, when you go into one of the, uh, the, the principal rooms, it's probably, I would say, about from that part of the wall to about halfway, just the chandelier. It's huge, humongous that is there. And the, the marble floor is just uh, nothing you've, like you've ever seen in your life. It is just beautiful. But the nursery rhyme asks a cat, 
their perspective on the visit to Buckingham Palace. Hey, hey, Pussycat, come here. How was it? Did you see the, did you see the, the, the chandelier? Did you see the beauty? Did you see all the rooms? Did you see everything that was happening and, and the changing of the guard? Did you see how awesome? And which room did you go to? Uh, yeah, I went there, but I saw a mouse. Wait, but didn't you see the queen? Didn't you see what the queen and the king and what was happening and taking place? And the, did you see the jewelry and how expensive? And how, yeah, no, I just saw a rat. Wait, you mean to tell, didn't you go to church and wasn't it powerful? And the king of kings and the lord of lords? And yeah, well, I saw her. I wouldn't never wear that dress. That was a horrible dress. I wouldn't wear that dress. She could wear that dress. I just, that, that color doesn't fit her, but I'm not going to tell her that. That's just what she was wearing. You mean to tell me you went to church with a powerful uh, uh, presence of God and all you saw was the little things? All you saw was a little mouse? All you saw, ah, yeah, well, you know, it was all right. That's why when you talk to certain people and you ask them, hey, how was church? It was all right. You know why? Because they have the perspective of a cat. They're just seeing the little things. Just seeing the little things. See, that's why in this portion of Scripture, Jesus, he's sharing this generation If you cannot discern the signs, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss what I'm trying to show you. Listen to me, Victory Outreach, Heart of the Bay. There's a lot of signs all over the place. And you're seeing the messenger, but can you see the message? It's very important because right now God wants to reveal himself little by little by little. And the signs are here. And I believe that it's up to us as Victory Outreach, Heart of the Bay, to see the signs and direct the people in the direction of God. Because God has a great plan for this city. God's got a powerful plan for what is going to be taking place here and all over the Bay Area. But can we see the signs? Tell your neighbor, can you see it? See, what's very important to understand, because whenever we say this word generation, right away we categorize by age. But what Jesus was saying here, he was not trying to categorize by age. In the physical, he was trying to categorize by spiritual. The spiritual understanding. Can your spiritual eyes spiritualize with your spiritual eyes? Can you understand what is going on? Can you see what is taking place? Because if not, it's going to be, well, I went to church. It was all right. It's a spiritual thing. Tell your neighbor, it's a spiritual thing. See, when I got saved, I got saved in the early 90s. Matter of fact, I got saved at Pastor Saul's Mighty Men of Valor at his message. Now, I was never in Vietnam, but as he began to talk about Vietnam, I got like, wow, that's crazy. I need to get right. And I'll never forget, keep your helmet on and change your socks. If you were in, and if anybody was in the war, Marines, my, uh, Pastor Saul was a Marine, and he, they always talk about that. Keep your helmet on because you can get shot by friendly fire. Like, always keep it on. Keep that helmet of salvation on. And always change your socks because your feet are no good if they get all messed up and you can't walk or you can't carry somebody else. Always keep your feet well. Right? So I'll never forget that message. I'll never forget it. So when I got saved, I got saved in the 90s. And in the 90s, we had this thing called Vision 2000. You got to run with Vision 2000. You got to, I mean, just, we were, we were just making up songs for everything. The gang, the gang, all right, let's make a song for the gang. It ain't nothing but the gang. We were just, united we can't. United we can. We were, just, we were making songs for everything. If it was a ministry, it had a song. Write a song, right? Like that, that's how I grew up. So we, I grew up in, in this uh, uh, era when Vision 2000, where pretty much, you love Jesus, you love the Lord, lift your hands, we're sending you out. Well, where am I going, Pastor? It doesn't matter. You love Jesus, we're sending you right now. 
We were just sending everybody. You want, you want to go? You want, okay, we're going to go. You're going to Europe. We're in Europe. I have no idea. Just go. Like everybody was just getting sent out. We're going here. We're going we're gonna to win the world. So that's how I grew up. I grew up in this type of mentality. See, some of you right now, you're even older than me in age physically, but you're not older in age spiritually. So I have a certain perspective on when I got saved, how I see things. So when you got saved, you have a certain perspective. If you were to ask my father who grew up in the 70s, he has a totally different perspective. So when they, say, when they talk about, well, when did you get saved? How was it? They, they were called the Bible thumpers. You know why they were called the Bible thumpers? It's because they would take the Bible and they would literally go up to somebody, and they would bring them to all the brothers together, and they would get them all together and say, right now, come on, we're going to pray for this guy, and he needs the word of God. In the name of Jesus, touch him right now. For those that grew up in the 60s and 70s era, with the, if you were saved, not grew up, but if you were saved at that time, some of you don't even remember the 60s and 70s. But if you were saved at that time, I know, look at Pastor Daryl over here, right? We all know he smoked that generation away, all right? We know that. But if you asked him, he has a totally different perspective. If you ask those that were even saved back in the 30s in the Azusa Street Revival in the early uh, 1900s, when they got saved, they were called holy rollers. Why? Because they would get filled with the Holy Spirit, they would fall on the ground, and they would start rolling on the ground. So they called them holy rollers. Look at them holy rollers over there. That's why they called them that. So they had a certain perspective. They saw things a certain way. See, the first generation had a different mindset of how they saw things. It was an encounter. Somebody say encounter. See, this is what's very important. When this first generation had an encounter with God, they couldn't go anywhere without getting somebody saved themselves. They just had a certain understanding. Matter of fact, they prayed for everything. They prayed for everything. I mean, they, they, they would all get in the van. Okay, look, guys, let's get in the van. We're all going to get in the van. Okay, everybody bow your heads. We're going to pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now that you would uh, make a crooked path straight and make everything good. Okay, all right, guys, now we're going to go in reverse. We'll bow your heads again. We're going to go. Father, in the name of Jesus, we go in reverse. Clear out everything behind our path that we cannot see. In the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you right now. Okay, we're going in reverse. Okay, now we're going forward. Everybody close your eyes. We're going to go. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray as we move forward. Lord, let us find favor with the streetlights in the name of Jesus. Amen. They, they couldn't go anywhere without somebody getting saved and them getting baptized. Right? See, nowadays, if you asked about, have you been baptized? That would never be a question back then, back in the 70s. Everybody got saved and everybody got baptized. I said, no, you're getting baptized. You're getting ba we're going to baptize you right now. Everybody getting baptized in the name of Jesus. We're going to baptize you. And this was Christianity as a whole. I'm not talking about victory hours. I'm just talking as a whole. Every, they had a mindset. Why? Because they had an encounter. And so because they had an encounter, they wanted everybody to have that same encounter that they had. It was radical. Somebody say radical. But then another generation comes along, and the generation has a totally different mindset. It becomes more of a lifestyle. Somebody say lifestyle. See, the lifestyle is different than the first encounter because the lifestyle then becomes Go to church. Why do we got to go to church? We go to church because we got to go to church. Don't do this. Don't talk like that. Don't walk like that. Don't go over there. Don't do this. Don't do that. All right, I guess so. 
hey, why are you doing it? I don't know. My mom told me I can't do it, so I better not do it. So it just becomes a lifestyle. Never understand the purpose. Never understand really why you're doing it. You just do it because you got to do it. Mom said so. Dad said so. So I got to do it. So the second generation, they didn't have the encounter. They just, the first generation did, but they have to do it because their parents said so. So all of a sudden you have a generation is now growing up in a lifestyle who didn't have an encounter. See, it's very difficult to make somebody who is radically unsaved behaved like a saint. That's very hard. That's very difficult to do. So all of a sudden another generation comes along and it's just a lifestyle. Now what's very important is that this generation, they didn't get the blessings, but they were, began to live in the blessings. So what happens is they expect the blessings. That's just the way that it is. Well, I expect that's just, uh, they need to give me my own church. They need to give me my own this. They need to give me my own that. I have to get it all. And if they don't give it to me, then I'm not going to do it. But see, if you talk to the first generation, they went out like, man, I went out with nothing. I had nothing. I really ain't got nothing. Still ain't got nothing, but I'm going to do it anyways. You see the mindset? Totally different mindset. So here comes another generation. No, no, it's got to be like this. And if it's not like that, well, now this is what's crazy. You go from this generation to another generation to the next generation, and the other generation comes along. It's totally different. It's not an encounter. It's not a lifestyle. It's rebellion. It's rebellion. So the third generation comes along, and it's very difficult to get them to go along with anything. They didn't have the encounter. They're really not into the lifestyle. Matter of fact, they see it, and they go, I'm going to do the exact opposite of whatever you're telling me to do. Going to church? I ain't going to church. You go to church. That's what you did. I ain't doing none of that. You wear a tie? I ain't wearing no tie. You wear a dress? I ain't wearing no dress. That's what you do. That ain't me. Totally different mind frame. Totally different. Now, where we see that here in the Bible is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Somebody say Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Tell your neighbor Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now, Abraham, the first generation, has an encounter. So the first generation has an encounter, and the Abraham generation has a certain way of seeing things. So because they see it a certain way, that means they're going to do it a certain way. It's very important. When you read the life of Abraham, he was always doing two things. It's very important. Always doing two things. Number one, he was always digging wells, and number two, he was building altars. When you read his life, everywhere that he went with his flock, with his, uh, his family, with his livestock, he was always building an altar and always digging a well. Why? Because he needed to make sure that if everybody around him was going to live, he had to dig down deep to get the water. Needed to provide for the family. Needed to provide for the plants. Needed to provide. And you had to dig a well. See, if you're going to stay in Christianity a long time, you must learn how to dig a well you got to learn how to dig a well. See, the first generation, they knew how to dig a well. Now, this is very important. See, when you dig a well in the physical, you use your hands. But when you dig a well in the spiritual, you use your knees. See, the wells represent the life of the spirit. It's a flowing. There is a flowing that has happened. It is prayer. Somebody say prayer. See, the first generation, they knew how to pray for everything. That's exactly why some of you, even now to this day, like, okay, uh, is the food here? Okay, we're going to pray right now. Got to pray for everything. You know, this is just, just a side note. I don't know. Well, how can we never pray for our drinks? We only pray for our food. You ever thought about that? 
Like, no, we just got to make sure of the food, not the drinks. The drinks are okay. Oh, just side note. We pray for everything, right? And those that grew up in that generation, they know. They will sit there and they'll wait. No, we're going to wait for No, we're going to pray for this food. Right? Hey, take that chip out of your mouth. Put it on the plate. We're going to pray for that chip. It's not a holy chip until I pray for it right now. They pray for everything. Everything had to be prayed for. Why? Because it was a mindset. I've been digging wells. And if our family, if our, our livestock, if everybody around me is going to survive, it's only going to survive through prayer. It's only going to survive through prayer. See, this generation understood that if, we're ever, if they were ever going to do anything, they had to do it in prayer. Matter of fact, when you talk to those in the generation and you tell them, hey, we're going to have all night prayer, guess what that means? All night. If you talk to my generation and say, hey, we're going to have all-night prayer. Oh, cool. So is it going to be around midnight, right? Right around midnight? We're going to stop around midnight? 1 o'clock, right? Or 11? 11 would be great. You say that to somebody who grew up in another generation, they're like, what's wrong with you? Why would you? Don't call it all-night prayer. Just call it until you're tired prayer. How about that? Because the Abraham generation, they would get tired and they'd keep going totally different mindset they saw things differently it was all night prayer see they understood that if they were going to get close to God they had to go beyond their flesh they had to get into the spirit see some of you here this morning you got to get that spirit of the Abraham generation that they understood that if hey if we're going to do this if I'm going to be a part of this listen I don't want to get a taste of the ministry I don't want to get a taste of this I don't want to get a taste of that I need to make sure that I taste and see that the Lord is good because once I taste of him I don't want anything else see that's why some of you are sitting here right now and you've had a bad taste of church you know why you've had a bad taste of church because you tasted the desserts before you got to the main course right away you got in hey let's do church so you're like why do i why am i doing church all right let's just do it i guess it's just it's just what we do prayer i guess i don't know we're supposed to pray i'm not even sure no let's just do ministry and so you got it in reverse so that's why when people tell you, come to church, go to church, those church people, they want your money, this guy wants that, and this girl's there, and I don't want this, and I don't want that. All you do is see a bunch of mice. You just see mice. But the first generation, they, they didn't like rats. They didn't like mice. They said, no. Listen, everybody else can do whatever they want. Me, I need to get a connection with my Savior. And if it's going to take all night, then I'm going to pray all night. See, the Abraham generation had a different spirit. Matter of fact, you know what they also did? They also would build altars. You know why they would build altars? Because everywhere they went, they wanted to make sure that God would get the first fruits of their life. God would get the first fruits of the. It was a sacrifice. See, the sacrifice represents a place where you kill something to gain someone. See, some of us here today, if we're going to get that spirit of the Abraham generation, then we're going to have to kill off some things. Some of you here today, you're going to have to kill your pride. You're going to have to kill that jealousy. You're going to have to, you know, this is a big one. You're going to have to kill your reasoning. That make, well, it makes sense to me. That's why I can hold this grudge. Listen, the more you hold a grudge, the slower you are. The slower you are. Because you have to hold this. And you got to hold it. Hey, let me hold that for you. No, 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 no. This is mine. I like it. I like the way that it is. 
Well, you should go to the altar. I'm not going to go to the altar. This is why I, I like, I just, I like feeling like this. I said, well, how come you can't lift your hands? I'll lift my hands when I want to lift my hands. Okay. So that's why it's very difficult whenever the worship leader comes up. Come on, lift your hands. I ain't lifting my hands. I ain't doing none of that. You lift your hands. Uh, matter of fact, you put your arms down. You ain't even wearing deodorant right now. I don't even know why you're doing that. You know what I've learned about pride? Pride stinks. And the thing about it is that pride is that you think everyone else stinks. Well, they got pride. Guess what that means? You got pride. But it's very hard. To, well, I, you know what you have to do? You need to get an altar and you need to kill that. Sacrifice that. Sacrifice that at the altar. See, the Abraham generation, to them, when you talk about sacrifice, for this generation nowadays, you know what a sacrifice is? Hey, can you give up your phone? No! I need my phone. Talk to somebody from the first generation, they'll look at you like, what's wrong with you? Well, who cares? I don't even really care. Like, the phone's not a big deal. It's not a big issue. Why? Because they survived by digging wells. For a lot of this generation, the well is their phone. If I don't have this, I die. Oh, my God. It's 1%. I got 1%. I only got 1%. I need 1%. Anybody need a charger? I need a charger. I need a charger. Where's the charger? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Don't talk to me right now. Don't talk to me right now. I need a charger. Oh, my gosh. The world's going to stop turning. I'm saying it humorously, but at the same time, it's become a mindset. And if you're not careful, it can come into a mindset where I cannot operate unless this happens. No, you cannot operate unless you're in connection with the Holy Spirit. That's the operation. Not everything else. It's the operation of the Holy Spirit through you. But it's very difficult if you cannot see it. Tell your neighbor, can you see it? Now, what's very important is that all this digging and all this building is going to do something to you. You know what it does? It's like this. When you go to the gym. Now, I'm not, I haven't been to the gym in a long time, Father, forgive me. I need to go back to the gym. But I remember when you go to the gym and you go there, and I remember the first time going back. I used to play a lot of sports, so I was always in the gym playing sports. But I, you know, stopped for a little while, just a little bit. So a couple of years ago, I went back, and I remember going back. And I went in there and I go, man, I, I don't remember this. There was mirrors everywhere. I was like, oh, my gosh. Never seen so many mirrors in my life. But guys go up there, and you see guys. And, you know, we talk about girls and, you know, their, their hair and their makeup. You see guys in the gym. I mean, they're smaller than me, and they walk like. Oh, yeah, where's the restroom? That way. Got you. Now, this is the crazy part. This is the crazy part. They'll go there, and you can tell, you know, they're small, right? They'll go there, and they'll get a weight. Put it down, and they'll look in the mirror, and they'll go, Like if doing one thing was going to change their muscle, not even like overnight, like over seconds, like uh, 
You see that? You see that? There's a cut. There's a cut. I see the cut. I see a cut. There's a cut. There's a cut. You see that cut? That's a cut right there, right? I'm like, no, that's a paper cut. I think you're. But the reason why is for this. They understand the principle that when you go into the gym, I'm going to expect to see some results. Now, if you understand how the gym works, you know that you're not going to see results right away. But if you keep going, you'll see results. You're not going to see it right away, but you got to keep digging and keep building. So if you're going to keep digging wells and building altars, you're going to see results in the spirit. You know what the results are? You won't see it in the physical. You'll see it in the spiritual. It's called conviction. There's a conviction. See, in this first generation, they had a conviction. They had a conviction. They saw things a certain way. Matter of fact, uh, my, my parents, they used to talk about, my mom used to talk about it a lot, about how back in the days that what they wanted to do is they wanted to make sure that everything that they did would not be polluted. So anything that they did, they, this is, I can't even believe it, it's crazy now. They laugh at it now, but this is what they would tell me, that bowling back then was a sin. Bowling, sin. Makeup, sin. Like, uh, you think I'm playing with you. Every, the, you know, I can see your ankle, sin. Like everything, sin. Breathing air, sin. Like everything, sin. Everything was a sin. You couldn't go here, you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. The, the reality of it was, was this, because, you know, now, you know, they, they wear makeup. Amen, praise the Lord, all right? The house needs painting. Paint the house, praise the Lord. What's wrong with that? Don't laugh, fellas. Some of you guys need some painting, too. So people are like, well, is this a sin? No, it's not that it was a sin. The thing is, they didn't want to sever the relationship that they had with their Savior. They didn't want to. Why? Because they had a conviction. It's not that they couldn't go out there and go smoke. It's they didn't want to. I don't want to go smoke. I don't want to get high. I don't want to get drunk. I don't want to go with those old friends. I don't want to do it. Why? Because I have a conviction, and I know me. And since I'm getting to know me by getting to know him, because of that, there is a new me. And so the new me is telling the old me, I'm not going to go there. Why? I have a conviction. It is a conviction that I've been digging wells. I've been building altars. And with all this digging and building, I have conviction. It's not that I can't go get high. I don't want to get high. I just don't want to. It's not that I can't go party. I don't want to go party. Or should I reverse that? I don't want to go party like them. I party. Believe me, if you know me, I love to party. I love to have a good time. I love to dance. But I just don't want to dance like them. I want to dance like David. Or should I say, I want to dance like Vince. I like it. Oh, there he is. I didn't see him. <laughs> All right? That's okay. I, lo- I love Vince. But Vince got that, like, ah. Like, uh, he reminds me of, like, that crisscross sometimes. Like, ah. Don't try to play me out. Don't try to. I'm like, yo. <laughs> so it's not that I, 
I can't go dance. It's just I don't want to dance like you. It's not that I can't get high. I do get high, but I don't need a joint to get me high. I get high on the most high. It's just a different high. That's all it is. I have a different conviction. I have a different way of seeing things. That's all it is. Why? Because there is something that has come inside that has changed my mind frame, that has changed my mind, that has changed the way I see things. It is a conviction. You know what conviction will do? Conviction will uncomfort your comfort. Conviction will make sure that you don't stay comfortable, that you don't stay just a person that attends church. Listen to me, Victory Outreach, Heart of the Bay. Listen to me. This is very important. If we are going to do that, all that God has called us to do, then we need to have a conviction about it. I understand that there's many other churches around here, and they do it many different ways, and I thank God for them. But the conviction that we have is different than others. God has put something inside of us and laid a plan ahead of us, and we need to have a conviction that says, God, I want to do what you call me to do so I can go where you call me to go and I can see what you want me to see. It's a conviction. It's a conviction. People talk to me all the time and they say, well, how come your church doesn't drink but that church does? You know why? It's just a conviction. That's all it is because people come and they, you know, they, they, they want to see and they, well, what does that church do? And what is that? Well, I've heard about that church. Listen, that church is a great church, but that's not our church. It's just, we're just different like that. We believe that Jesus is the Savior. We believe that he's a soon-coming king. We believe that, but there's just a conviction. And I want to say this because a lot of people always ask me, how come your church it doesn't drink? Oh, if you knew my church. See, maybe other churches, that wasn't their lifestyle, but our church, mm, there was no such thing as, just give me a little bit. That's one a little bit. No, 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 that's too much. Give me a little bit. Yeah, right. I look around here, I, I don't see a little bit. I see a lot of bit. Yeah. Like, that's like saying, I'll just be a little angry. Yeah, right. When you get angry, you get angry. When you drink, you drink. When you get high, you get high. Like, it's, it's, it's impossible. So that's why, well, how come? And I, and I tell them this. I say, look. The Bible says that everything is permissible. In other words, do whatever you want. You want to get high? Get high. You want to get loaded? Get loaded. That's perfectly fine. However, not everything is beneficial. So don't get upset when years later, down goes your liver. It's not beneficial. Don't get upset when all of a sudden you can't make the right choices when you're drunk. Don't get upset. It's not beneficial. See, that's why I've learned that I want to make the right choices. That's why the Bible says be sober-minded. Sober-minded, making sure that everything ahead of you, God has a plan for you. But you can't see the plans if you're drunk. Now, I'm not talking drunk in the physical. Remember, everything I'm talking about is what? Spiritual. I'm talking about spiritual things. So you and I must understand when it comes to this, the first generation, they had a conviction. You know what convictions will also do? Convictions will make sure that you don't become a professional Christian. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Deep conviction. See, the second generation comes along, totally different mindset. The first one has an encounter. The second one is lifestyle. Somebody say lifestyle. The lifestyle is caught up in the tradition. This is the way it has to be done. And if it's not done like this, then we're going to miss it. When you read the life of Isaac, Isaac 
was going up around rebuilding altars and redigging wells. He was caught up in the tradition. No, this is the way my father did it. It's got to be done like this. And if we don't do it like this, then it's not going to work. You know, it's funny. But there are some places and some churches, if the pulpit is off, people get upset. Matter of fact, change the pulpit. Oh, Jesus. Now, the great thing about our church is that if you, if you know me, change is always happening, so you just got to catch up on some, some things. We try to keep it at a good pace within our church. Believe me, we don't change all the time every week, but there are some changes. But I almost guarantee that I know that there are some churches, which I've been to even personally, that if the pulpit is not in its right spot, somebody will come up and move it and go, okay, now the Holy Spirit can move. I'm, I wish I was making this up. I really do. But it's the truth. No, 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 no. It's too loud. Lower it. Low, 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 lower it. Okay, now the Holy Spirit can move. Like, wait, what? What's going on here? Did you know that when you study church history, that there were certain chords that could not be played in the church? If you play the chord, matter of fact, if you can study it on your own. There's a chord called the devil's chord. It's the devil's chord. That's what they call it, or demon's chord, something like that. Um, augmented fourth over diminished fifth, for those of you that play music. I think that's right. I'm not positive, but somewhere around there. Augmented fourth over diminished fifth. Uh, you probably hear the chord when you go, dun -dun -dun, dun -dun -dun. You hear that right? You probably hear it during Halloween. Dun -dun -dun, dun -dun -dun. I can't go that low, but, you know, that chord. Oh, that's the devil's chord. Can't do that. You know what I've learned? Always leave room for God to blow your mind. Always leave room for God to blow your mind. See, but the lifestyle generation, no, 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 we got to do it like this. Got to do it like that. No, that has to be. I love having conversations with Pastor Paul. Pastor Paul and myself, we have our conversations. We go to breakfast. I love having breakfast with him. We have a great time. And I remember, I think it was a couple years ago, we, we were talking about even with ties, right? We were talking about ties. And they even asked, I go, hey, what's the big deal with ties? I go, honestly, I don't really care. It's not a big issue to me. I'm not tripping off it. But he understood, you know, some people do trip. And the funny thing is, is that Pastor Paul is just a little bit older than me. Just, just a little bit. A little bit. For those that are listening on the podcast, I really meant a lot of bit. A little bit older than me. But you know what I love? Is that Pastor Paul is not caught up too much. And no, it has to be like this. Matter of fact, I remember the first time Pastor Paul came without a tie. Other people were all, he's not wearing a tie. What in the world? Oh, my gosh. Holy Spirit just stopped right there. It's not a, it's not a big deal. It's okay. And if you know, even this morning, huh? You're probably, Pastor, you're not wearing a tie. I don't know, maybe keep worshiping the Lord. Just thought. No, believe me, I like to dress up. Believe me, I love dressing up. Now, that's a personal conviction. It's a personal thing that I love to dress. I like dressing nice. I think it's good to dress up and dress nice, right, on a Sunday. I just, I just feel, it makes you feel like, you know what I feel it is? It's called like a redemption lift. I've been redeemed, and I'm going to show it. 
That's all, that's all it is. It's just I've been redeemed, and I like dressing. I want to dress. Now, I'm not going to dress up in a dress. That's another message for another day. But I'm going to dress up. Oh, I like dressing nice. Come in. Wear my Sunday best. I think it's good. That's why when I see some churches, and they, the funny thing is they call them traditional churches. You know why they call them traditional churches? Because sometimes they look traditional. And so very much we got to be very careful that we don't get caught up in the tradition, but you understand why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you don't understand it, you will get caught up in the tradition. Nope, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. And then all of a sudden you come to church and you give a dictation of what God must do. And if he doesn't do it, now the Holy Spirit's not here. There are people that go to church and they say, well, I don't really like that church. It was too hot there. Well, I don't really like that church. It was too cold there. Well, I don't like that church. There wasn't enough black people there. Well, I don't like that church. There wasn't enough Mexicans there. Well, you think I'm making this stuff up. That's the crazy thing. I'm not making this stuff up. There's no, they didn't have enough. Uh, 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 somebody told me this, too. They actually said, you don't have enough Polynesians. I, I'm telling you, I, you guys think I'm making this stuff up. I'm not making it up. I had the conversation. You know what I told him? I said, my worship leader is Polynesian. That's what I told him. Like, he is? I go, yeah, can't you tell? Just look at him. He looks like he's ready to go out in the back and cook a pig in the ground. Like, look. <laughs> I love AJ. I love AJ. I said, yeah. I said, I go, now, the reason why, you know why we have those kind of conversations is because people are too caught up looking at mice. Too caught up looking at mice. And so here we are, we got to deal with little mice problems. We said, we got to set the mouse trap. Okay, here, let's, okay, here we go. Like, oh my, what are you looking at? Like, if anywhere, I, I think anywhere in the Bay Area, look around here, matter of fact, I know some of you here, you're not even Mexican, and you probably get offended when people call you Mexican. And you're, I'm not Mexican. I'm Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico! I'm El Salvadorian, okay? I'm El Salvadorian. We have a lot of nationalities here. We get a whole lot of different ones. Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Polynesians, Caucasians. Mexicans, look, I want you to know this. If you're visiting for the first time and you're seeing me, you go, hey, that guy's Mexican. I want to be honest with you. I'm not Mexican. I don't speak any Spanish. El Sario. <laughs> how do you say that? Oh, compromiso? Is that how you say it? I get it. All right. S sorry. But if you stay around long enough and you build some character and you build some conviction, you'll find others that do speak Spanish. You'll find others that you can agree with. Oh, man, this is great. This is awesome. This is good. All right. See, but if you come one time and all you see is a mice, you're going to miss the king. You're going to miss the king because you're too busy looking around. You get caught up in the tradition of things. Now, this is the crazy thing, and I end with this. The third generation comes along and completely rebels. When you read the life of Jacob, Jacob builds no altars and digs no wells. He doesn't dig any. Why? Because he's caught up in, well, uh, you can't do this, and uh, you can't do that, and they're caught up in the can't-dos. Rather than what they can do, caught up in what they can't do. And so the Jacob generation, and I say that because I understand the generation of where we're at right now, and believe me, I read the Facebook posts. I read, I go on there, I see all these different things, and they have debates over meaningless 
stuff that, that to me are meaningless, but I know to them, like, it's a big deal. I had a conversation one time with somebody, and they were debating. I didn't want to debate with them on Facebook. I went to their face. When you want to confront something, don't confront it through Facebook. Confront it to their face. Face the challenge. Don't Facebook it. Face it. Matter of fact, if you were here last Thursday, that's biblical. That's what the Bible says to do. You go to them. If you have a problem, go to them. Now, it may not always end properly, but you go to them. That's the biblical way. Because if it doesn't, guess what? There's three steps to that. After you go to them, then what do you do? If they don't listen, take somebody else. If they still don't listen, bring it before the elders of the church. Before the church. So there's a process. So I had a conversation with time. Because I read what they wrote about tattoos. And they, they were philosophically smart as they were writing all this stuff on it. So I went to them. I said, hey, I saw you write that about tattoos. I understand what you were getting at. But do you understand your platform? See, and this is what I've also learned about Facebook. Is that Facebook puts everybody on the same platform. In other words, there's somebody that you know, like, you know who that guy is. There's always that guy. But Facebook makes everybody the same. What am I saying? It makes that guy the same as that pastor. It's all the same. They sound that you don't know who they are. So they just keep on. So the platform of Facebook sometimes is the enemy's playground. You got to be very careful with that. Very careful. So I went to this person. I said, hey, saw what you wrote about tattoos. And they were talking. I said, yeah, you know, with you know, the, the church. And, you know, well, I don't understand why I can't get a tattoo. And this and that. I go, look, we're, we're going over little, you know, little things. You know, semantics. You're trying to get into something that's not there. Well, you know, that. I go, look, if you want to get a tattoo, go ahead and get your tattoo. You want to get a little, oh, yeah, because they even want a tattoo. And you want a cute little butterfly? Put a little butterfly right there, okay? Get a little butterfly. And everywhere you go, look at my little butterfly. Look at my little butterfly. Look. And you can do that little butterfly. Put a wing right there. And if you want to get your BFF, go ahead and have him get a little, yes, he was a he. So I told him, hey, you go over there, get your BFF, let him get a tattoo. You guys can get two little butterflies and flap them together. Do all that all you want. Look at my butterfly. Go for it. It's fine. Butterfly. And this is the crazy thing, is that these are the conversations now that we have in this generation. If you talk to the first generation, this was never a conversation. It was never a big deal. I'm not going to drink. No way. I'm not going to go. No way. But you talk to the Jacob generation, why not? Why can't I? See, that's, that's your thinking. That's not my... Look at the Abraham generation had an encounter, and it was radical. It was a radical encounter, and no one and nothing can take that encounter. It was a one-on-one. -on -one. It wasn't a one-on-50. In other words, I'm relying, if he goes to church, then I'll go to church. No, it was a one-on-one. -on -one. It was a personal thing. I come to church because I have a personal conviction to come to church. Has nothing to do with no one else. You know, the crazy thing is that when me and my wife got married, we both said this to each other. We told each other this. We said, look, I love you, and you love me. And we had the same exact conversation. But we always told, told each other, God will always be first. 
you will never take God away from me. No matter what happens in our marriage, God will never be out of this relationship. Never. Why? Conviction. I had the conviction before her. She had the conviction before me. We just brought our convictions together. It was just a conviction. And so no one and nothing can take that. So all of a sudden, here comes this Jacob generation, just expecting the blessings, just like the Isaac generation. Just, well, that's the way that it is. Well, why can't we do this? And why can't we do that? And why can't we do this? Listen, I want to make sure that us as Victory Outreach Heart of the Bay, that we allow God to do what he wants to do within our church. And this is what, this is very important to me. This is what God wants to do. And if it's for something for you, and you're saying, you're wrestling with it, this is the crazy thing. If you're wrestling with it, it's okay to wrestle. Matter of fact, as he comes to the piano, matter of fact, you want to know how Jacob had an encounter with God? He wrestled. So some of you right now, you're wrestling with certain things. You're wrestling with culture, even in this church. How come there's not more people? How come the pastor doesn't even preach Spanish? How come he doesn't speak Spanish? How come they don't do this? How come they don't? You're, you're wrestling with things. You're wrestling with your own culture in this church right now. You're wrestling with, well, how come? I remember this person. They don't come to this church. How come they don't come to this church no more? And you're wrestling. How come they were, I don't want to wear a tie. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And you're wrestling. 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 And I want you to know something. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to wrestle. You know what? We all wrestled. And if I'm honest, I still wrestle sometimes. I still wrestle. God, this makes sense. God, give me an understanding. And you know what God does to me? He says, before I give you an understanding, I'm going to give you a peace. Calm down. A peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm trying to rationalize. And some of you, you're like me. You try to reason everything to reason it. Well, it makes, if we do it like this, then it's going to make sense. Well, if I do it like that, well, if I come here and I do it, well, if I give this much and I have this, but it, so you reason everything. And if you're like me, because that's how I was. Matter of fact, even sometimes, I think I still am. I'll say amen on behalf of my wife on that one. I still try to reason things sometimes. Like, nah, well, wow, eh, well, it, I, uh. And you know what happens? When I start reasoning, this is what I've learned. I need to go to my well. I need to get in there and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Because I don't want to do what I want to do. Because sometimes the things that I want to do are fleshly. They're not right. And I'm not having the right encounter. So this is what's crazy. Abraham. Was Abraham's name always Abraham? No. He had an encounter with God, and it got his name changed. His name first was Abram. Abram, that was his name, right? Abram. See, I'm learning Spanish. Hallelujah. So that's what he had an encounter. Jacob. Was his name always Jacob? No. He had an encounter. When he had the encounter, changed his name. And it went from Jacob to Israel. He wrestled with God. And you have won. Isaac, was Isaac's name always Isaac? Yes. Because tradition doesn't change. It's the same. It's always the same. They caught up. 
go to church. Why? Because I have to. I gotta, I'm going to shake her hand. Why? Because I have to. I don't want to, but I have to. I got to go there because I have to. Because I have to. Listen, I want you to know something. My prayer is that you exercise your faith by coming, but prayerfully one day that you're going to get over the have to. You're going to get over the have to. That giving is going to become a joy. See, some of you right now, when you give, you're like, all right, I'm going to give because I guess. But eventually, you know what? I love giving. This is awesome. I love giving. I love shaking hands. I love giving people hugs. See, some of you right now, I understand you have a tough time whenever we do the greeting. I don't want to greet. I'm going to come after the worship because I know when the worship's done, everybody's done greeting. They're sitting down, and I'm going to show up because you don't want to greet. You don't want to talk to people. You don't want people to talk to you. Be my own world. So you miss out on the fellowship of the brothers. And I don't want to tell you something. You got to push yourself. Say, God, I want to see what you want me to see. I want to do what you want me to do. So I can go where you want me to go. It's tough. It's hard. It's a wrestle. It's a wrestle. But see, what you and I must understand, the Bible says, for we wrestle not against each other. See, that's why some of you right now, it's very difficult because you wrestle and you see him or you see her and you think, man, if they weren't here, this would be the best church ever. If she wasn't here, man, I would be able to lift my hands and I wouldn't have a care in the world. But guess what? She's here and he's here. They're still here and they're still going to worship the Lord. You're not wrestling against her. You're not wrestling against him. You're wrestling against principalities. That you can't see, oh, man, it's hurting right now. Why do I feel like this? Because it's a spiritual battle. The spiritual battle that is getting at your heart. Oh, I want to, but why? I can't, but why? I want to challenge us as Victory Average Heart of the Bay that we would grab a hold of that spirit of Abraham and say, look, I don't have it all together. I don't have a whole lot of stuff, but what I do have, God, it's yours. Whatever I got, God, it's yours. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, it's yours. It's not mine. My life is not my own. It's not mine. It's yours. Do what you want. Listen, I know I'm not talking about parenting, but some of you right now, you got to learn how to let your children go and give them to God. That's why it's hard for you. No, they're my kids, and if they don't listen, how come they're not listening to me? They need to listen to the Spirit inside of you. And if they're not listening to the Spirit, well, then God will deal with them. It's a whole different thing to have you deal with them and let God deal with them. See, God had to deal with me. And you know what happened? My mom had to let me go. My dad had to let me go. I said, okay, Lord, deal with them. I know I'm not talking about parenting, but I just feel like the need to share that right now. For those of you as parents, and let your children go. Give them to God. Be a good steward. Now, when I say let them go, I'm not talking about they're five years old, kick them out the house. I want to make this very clear. Somebody can misinterpret what I'm saying. Remember, I said at the beginning, I'm not talking physical. I'm talking spiritual. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they get older, they won't depart from that. They, they're going to depart from you. They will depart from you. They're supposed to depart from you. When a man leaves his mother and father and clings to his, they're supposed to leave you. It's biblical. They shouldn't stay with you their whole life. 
But you have to be a good steward, spiritually speaking. Parent them, love them, and love them enough to say, okay, God, they're all yours. I want every head bowed and every eye closed.